we are closing out our taboo series. And uh, the definition of taboo, as a reminder that Pastor Daniel gave us, is things that aren't talked about because they can be awkward or uncomfortable. Who can remind me the topics that we've talked about the past two weeks? Yes. Racism and bullying. Yes, absolutely. And so tonight we are going to be covering the topic of sexual identity. Now, as our definition states, this is certainly a topic that may make some of you uncomfortable, but as much as possible, I want you guys to relax. So if everybody could take a deep breath for me. Now hold it. Everyone's not doing it. Now slowly let it out. All right, now that hopefully you're a little more relaxed, let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, to be bringing your word, God, and I pray that I would decrease and that your words, your truth would come forth clearly, Lord God, and I just pray for tender hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Now, uh, as a side note, there are uh, like flashcards on your chairs. That's for you to write any questions you have because we're going to have a time of Q&A at the end of the sermon. And we're going to be collecting those toward the end. So uh, feel free to write down any questions. If I answer a question in the sermon, you can just cross it out. All right. So sexual identity. Am I going to have to like preach to this corner because y'all are chatting a whole lot? So... All right. Sexual identity, it is comprised of multiple things, but the two main things that it's comprised of is sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, these topics, they are related, but they are also distinct. All right. And they are both such massive topics that I'm not going to be able to cover both of them tonight. So we're just going to be looking at sexual orientation. But we're very much aware that gender identity is a taboo and a hot topic in today's culture. So we are going to be coming back and covering that next year when we do taboo again. So to start us off, let's go ahead and look at the definition of sexual orientation. It is an individual's enduring romantic, emotional, or sexual attractions toward other persons. Heterosexual, homosexual, and bisexual are examples of specific sexual orientations. Now, this definition I got online, it was a great website, very helpful, and it uses the term homosexual there, and I want to clarify that I am going to be using the term homosexual throughout my sermon tonight. And I need to clarify that because um, homosexual, it's more of a medical or a clinical term the way it is used today, but it used to be the common uh, term uh, in this country. But it's been replaced with more popular phrases such as gay and lesbian. And the LGBTQ community really doesn't prefer the term homosexual uh, for various reasons. But I'm going to be using it nonetheless because, A, I feel it is the best term that just easily uh, communicates what I'm talking about. But also because I, I just want to clarify that I'm not using it with any... Um, with uh, any like ill will, resentment, I'm not trying to be mean or offensive or anything like that. So now that we've got that established, let's, um, we're going to be looking at a bunch of burning questions on this topic, such as, is my sexual identity a choice? Does God hate homosexuals? Can Christians support homosexual marriage? But before we get into all that, we need to establish some foundational beliefs for our discussion. And the first one is, the existence of God is the basis for morality. I would love for you guys to say that for me. The existence of God is the basis for morality. 
All right, I'm going to be going really deep really quick, so I need all your brain power, all your attention right here, okay? So if God exists, that means there is an absolute transcendent standard of morality. But if God does not exist, then that means morality is subjective. It means people determine what is and isn't moral. That means it changes uh, from time periods, changes across different cultures, and it even changes from person to person. What I consider moral, you may not consider moral. Uh, and so the reason that uh, I'm bringing this up, well, actually, there's a ton of Christian apologists. I'm not going to really get into the nitty-gritty of how we arrive at that conclusion. There's a ton of Christian apologists who have uh, made their cases for this. Um, C.S. Lewis is a famous one in mere Christianity. But there's also non-Christian thinkers who have arrived at this exact same conclusion. I want to show you a quote from Richard Taylor. He is a non-Christian philosopher. And he said, The modern age more or less repudiating, in other words, rejecting, the idea of a divine lawgiver, God, has nevertheless tried to retain the ideas of moral right and wrong without noticing that in casting God aside, they have also abolished the meaningfulness of right and wrong as well. So basically, he's saying here the existence of God is the basis for morality, right? Apart from God existing, morality ceases to lose uh, meaning. It becomes insignificant. There is no real meaning. So the reason I'm bringing all this up is because if God does not exist, then the LGBTQ community is right, right? Your sexual orientation doesn't really matter. But you know what also doesn't matter in that scenario if God doesn't exist? Discriminating against homosexuals. I want you to look at the following statement. It is wrong to discriminate against homosexuals. Does this statement assume right and wrong that there are moral absolutes? Yes. It's right there in the word wrong. It is wrong. All right. So it assumes that there are moral absolutes, right and wrong. All right. But that... So this puts the homosexual community in a dilemma because on the one hand, if God does not exist, then they can't tell me it is wrong to discriminate against them. But on the other hand, if God does exist and God says that homosexuality is wrong, then they've put themselves in a lose-lose scenario, haven't they? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. it is good to discriminate against homosexuals. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Now, obviously, we're going to take a step back from all that. That's kind of the really deep stuff right from the beginning. We're in church. For the most part, we are Christians here. So we believe that God does exist. So we believe that morality exists, which is determined by God, which he has revealed to us in the Bible, right? So that is where we're going to be turning our attention for the next part of our discussion. And so in order to see what the Bible says about our sexual identity, we need to go all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 1. In verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then Genesis 2 expands on this and gives us a fuller narrative. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for, I'd love for you guys to help me out by reading the words in purple here. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a, let's pop it up there for him, a woman 
the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. All right, let's break down what we just read here. So God created man. And he saw that it was not good for man to be alone. He saw that man needed a helpmate. He needed someone to reproduce with, but he also needed companionship. And God's solution to this problem was not to create another man. Now, if you think about it, at the beginning, it's the beginning of the world. It's a blank slate. God could have done whatever the heck he wanted to do. But he said, creating another man is not the proper solution to this. Instead, he created woman. All right, so not only for reproduction, but also companionship, because woman has part of the heart of God that man doesn't. We see part of the heart of God in woman, and vice versa. And so that was God's solution. And so in this, we see the institution of marriage, where God reveals his plan, which is repeated again and again throughout Scripture, that marriage is intended to be between one man and one woman. And then God goes on in the rest of the Bible, and he reveals that sexual activity is intended only in the context of marriage. And so when you put these two statements together, we get the following summary statement, which is on your handout, that God's plan for all sexual activity is within marriage between one man and one woman. Now, obviously, you guys don't have to look very far to see that this is not the way it always plays out in life, right? People get divorced. People have sex before marriage. People engage in homosexual behavior. You know, there's rape, multiple wives, etc., etc. But it's important for us to realize that none of those things was God's original intent or purpose or plan, right? All of those things are the result of man's rebellion against God and his sin. Now, God, if he had just left it at this, Genesis 1 and 2, I believe that his view on marriage between one man and one woman would have been extremely clear. But thankfully, he doesn't leave it at that, and he goes on throughout the Bible to condemn sexual behavior that is outside of marriage. And one of them that the Bible condemns is pornography. Did you guys know that porn is specifically mentioned in the Bible by name? We get our English word, porn or pornography, from the Greek word porneia which in your English versions of the Bible is translated sexual immorality, right? Sexual immorality, porneia, that is a catch-all phrase that encompasses all sexually deviant behavior, all sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman. So yes, that term right there includes homosexuality, it includes adultery, it includes incest, and includes everything that is outside of God's plan for marriage. And so if you've ever wondered if porn is condemned in the Bible, the answer is yes. And let's just break down for a second what porn is, okay? It, porn causes you to engage in lustful fantasies. And you guys know in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus said, if you have lust in your heart toward another person, then you have already committed adultery with them in your heart. So in God's eyes, lust, pornography, is doing it in your mind is the same thing as actually going and doing it in the physical realm. It is the same thing. And Pastor John, I hope you guys heard his sermon a couple weeks ago. He actually did a sermon on will people who are living in sexual immorality, specifically he talked about pornography a lot, will they go to heaven? And the answer is no. So if you are living in pornography, constantly doing that as a lifestyle, you will not be going 
to heaven. So I encourage you guys to check out that document. He has some scriptures we're going to be looking at tonight, as well as a bunch of others. And the Bible, the New Testament, condemns porneia at least 25 times. So some of you may be thinking at this point, okay, so I get that homosexuality is condemned kind of uh, implicitly in the word porneia, but does the Bible specifically forbid homosexual behavior? Yes, it does. It does this six times, three in the Old Testament, three in the New. So let's go ahead and look at the three examples in the New Testament. Romans chapter one is our first one. I want you guys to help me out again by reading the words in purple. And these are all the different words the Apostle Paul uses to say that homosexuality is wrong. It says, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. That wasn't everybody. Let's try it again. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty, that wasn't right, penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. All right, so a couple of things I want to point out here. Paul not only condemns homosexuality between men, but also between women here. And we saw over and over again, all those phrases you just read, how he says it is not right. And he ends very clearly by saying that these things ought not to be done. All right, let's go to the next one, 1 Corinthians 6. Let's read the purple again. There's not as many this time. Or do you not know that the will inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that little A next to effeminate, that's a footnote in the NASB translation. And if you read the footnote, it says effeminate by perversion. All right, that Greek word can be translated effeminate, male prostitutes, or the passive male partner in a homosexual relationship. And so based on my study, the last translation, uh, the passive male partner seems to be what Paul was intending there based on the context. But even if we kind of ignore that word for a second, the very next word is homosexuals, specifically male ones in the Greek. So I want to ask you guys a question. I would love a strong, clear response. Based on these two verses right here, will someone who is living intentionally in a homosexual uh, lifestyle, will they go to heaven? No. That wasn't quite strong. <laughs> Let me ask it again. It's good for you to say this for yourselves. Will a person who is living in a homosexual lifestyle go to heaven? No. No, they will not. Now, something that we need to check ourselves on in this verse as well, because this verse mentions some things that we could be living in if we're not careful. It mentions adultery. We mentioned earlier, pornography is the same exact thing. That means if we're living in that, we won't be going to heaven. It also mentions idolatry. It also mentions covetousness. Covetousness is an old word. It just means wanting what someone else has. And with social media, 
that has blown up covetousness in our life. I want that vacation. I want their life. I want that body. I want all these things. That's coveting as well. So we need to check ourselves. Let's go to the last reference, which is 1 Timothy 1. Realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and, and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So Paul says right here in this verse that the homosexual lifestyle is contrary to sound teaching according to the gospel. You can't get much clearer than this in these verses that we just looked at. So now that we have seen what the Bible says about our sexual identity and God's original design for it, let's apply that knowledge to those burning questions I mentioned earlier. So the first one we're going to look at is, is my sexual identity a choice? Now that's the question that people ask, that you hear asked. Um, but to me, it's a very vague question, too vague for me to answer head on. So I've broken it into two clearer questions that I hear being asked in it. And the first one is, does God see my sexual orientation as a morally neutral decision? I think you guys can get what I'm saying here by morally neutral, meaning he, whether you're heterosexual, homosexual, God doesn't see one right, doesn't see one is wrong, you know, it doesn't have any moral consequences, the orientation that you have and that you pursue. So based on what we've looked at, you guys should have a, already know the answer to this. So the answer is, no. that was weak. The answer is no. no, all right? It is not morally neutral. God sees homosexuality as sin, and all sin is a perversion of God's original intent. So... The second question I hear being asked is, are some people born with a homosexual orientation or is it a lifestyle choice? Now, I've got a lot to say under this one. So, first of all, science has been unable to find a homosexual gene. They're looking for it. They found faint traces, but it's been like less than 5% predictability for what they have found. All right? So, first of all, science has not conclusively found a homosexual gene. Second of all, from a biblical perspective, to say that God created you homosexual, like that is the opposite of his will for our life. So I do not think that God would create us as gay or homosexual. All right. But even though, and, and let me say this as well on that point. So, you know, homosexuality is an interesting sin that people sing, single out because all of us, we, we are born into sin. We all have a sin nature. We all are, our default is to sin before we come to Jesus Christ, right? But that uh, unsaved people, you would kind of look at them a little funny if they said, oh, I was born a rapist. I was born a pedophile. I was born an adulterer. So that's why I commit adultery. You would look at them a little funny because people don't really talk like that, but people do that with homosexuality, right? They single that out and say that. So yes, all of us are born into sin, but that we're not born as homosexual as the default. And let me keep going because some people do have a stronger inclination toward homosexuality. Absolutely. But hear this, the reason many of them have that stronger inclination is due to their upbringing. Somebody say upbringing. upbringing. For instance, statistics tell us that if you are raised 
by homosexual parents, then you are significantly more likely to develop a homosexual orientation. All right, likewise, people who, um, there's a correlation between people who have experienced sexual trauma and are in fatherless situations and them developing a homosexual orientation as well. But even though they may have an inclination due to their upbringing or life experiences, it is still a choice on whether they act on those desires. Let me give you an example. You guys should be aware that alcoholism is genetic. There is a gen if your family was al were alcoholics, particularly your parents, then you have a genetic predisposition toward alcoholism, right? But let me ask you this. If your parents were raging alcoholics, does that give you an excuse to be an alcoholic for the rest of your life? No. no. Actually, it's the opposite, isn't it? You would have to be more cautious. It means because of that genetic predisposition in your life, you can't go to the bars and just hang out. You can't be around people who drink socially because you're more susceptible to slipping into that. It's the same thing for homosexuality. Even if you are inclined towards it, it is still a choice. And then the last piece of evidence I want to say on this, I think is the strongest actually, which is there are examples of people who have present tense, have an attraction toward the same sex, right? But they know what God's word says on it. They're living for Jesus and they choose not to act upon it. And they are happily married in heterosexual relation, in a heterosexual relationship, all right? Present tense. Also, there are people who were in the homosexual lifestyle, right? They got saved. God delivered them. They are no longer in the homosexual lifestyle. They are living as heterosexuals, whether they're single or whether they're married, right? So if you are born a certain way, you wouldn't be able to change from one to the other, would you? But if you're able to change from homosexuality to heterosexuality, to me, it indicates it is a choice. So what if you or a loved one knows all this? What if, you know, they're a Christian, you're a Christian, they're a Christian, but you're still battling these desires. You still um, ha find the same sex attractive. What should you do? Well, three quick things I want to share on this. First of all is Christian counseling. All right, we have to emphasize Christian here because if you go to a secular counselor, they're just going to tell you, Act on those desires. There's nothing wrong with it. Okay, so you need to see a Christian counselor. And there may be things, like I said, from your upbringing, from your past that are unresolved that you need to work through. Second thing is flee or remove temptation. Just like we said with the alcoholic example, if you um, have a tendency toward alcoholism, then you can't do the same things that other people do and are fine. So in your situation, um, the friends that you hang out with, you know, I think it's great as Christians if you have friends who are homosexual so that you can love on them and show them the love of Jesus. But if you, that is something you struggle with, that's, that's uh, something that you really can't do because they are going to be influencing you. It's a, the scripture says bad company corrupts good morals. As you're around that, as you're surrounded by it, it's going to be normalizing it in your mind and you're going to be drawn towards it. Same thing, the TV shows, the movies that you watch, are they normalizing or even celebrating homosexuality? You have to be extra vigilant on that so you don't lose the thought in your minds. And then last is guard your thoughts. You know, of course, you can't be fantasizing about that lifestyle and living that way because that's going to undermine um, you trying to live for Jesus. And then the last thing is accountability. All right, hopefully you have someone in your life 
that you love, that, that they love you, that you trust, that you can be open and honest with, and they can encourage you and speak life into you, but they can also ask you the tough questions and make sure you're staying on the right path. Hopefully you have that in your parents. Your parents should definitely be your number one resource if that's you uh, or a friend is dealing with that. Um, but if not, of course, we are available, your youth pastors and uh, your small group leaders. We'd love to be accountability for you. So let's go to our next question. Does God hate homosexuals? Well, God obviously hates sin because like we said, all sin is a perversion of his intent and it hurts us and brings death and destruction into our lives. So God does hate sin, but the Bible says that even when we were separated from God and his enemies and under his wrath that God loved us. And that's why he sent Jesus to save us. That's a good place to say amen. And so no, God does not hate homosexuals. He loves them. But just like everybody, homosexuals, they have to come to Jesus. They have to repent of their sins, seek his forgiveness, and then leave their sinful lifestyle behind them. And so as Christians, it is important for us to know that since God loves those dealing with homosexuality, we need to show them love as well and not hatred. Too many uh, people in the homosexual community, they've gotten a bad taste of Jesus because of so-called Christians showing them so much hatred. So <clears throat> since we show them love, what does that practically look like? Can Christians support homosexual marriage? Well, I have a video clip from Ravi Zacharias. It's very short, and he answers this question in just a fascinating way. So we're going to look at that in just a second. But um, let me see. Pastor Daniel um, is going to collect the question card. So if you have a question on your Q&A, go ahead and hold that up nice and high so he can collect that real quick. Anybody? I've seen some writing. No? No one's, no one's brave enough? All right, well, if you have it, hold it up during the video. Oh, we got one over here, Pastor Daniel. All right, we'll go ahead and roll the video, and then if you have it, you can hold it up and give it to Pastor Daniel in the dark. So remember, we defined earlier that the Christian view of marriage is between one man and one woman. And so what Ravi Zacharias is saying here is that the Christian view of marriage, that is something that is sacred to our belief system. And I think a lot of Christians, they struggle with wanting to support homosexuality because they see that they love each other. They just want to enjoy the same privileges that we get to enjoy. So they think, what's the big deal? But while, of course, we empathize with those in the homosexual community wanting to enjoy those privileges, it is a violation of our beliefs regarding the sacredness of marriage to support homosexual marriage. And it's important for us to realize the Bible is the standard for our morals, not our feelings. You can go ahead and pop that up there for him. The Bible is the standard for our morals, not our feelings. Just because it may feel right, you have these friends, you know, and you want them to be happy and you want them to have that lifestyle together, that cannot, our feelings cannot be what dictates our decisions and what we support in our morality. It's the word of God. Amen? So no, as Christians, we cannot support homosexual marriage. And in fact, when you really stop and think about it, if you truly loved those in the homosexual community, you would want them to find wholeness in Jesus Christ, right? Because if you just support them getting married and allow them to live their life the way they want here, then ultimately you are probably helping seal their eternal destiny as opposed to really helping them 
see the truth and find Jesus. Now, in the United States, it is already legal. Homosexual marriage is already legal, so the fight has already been lost in that sense. But it's important for us to know that just because our government says it's okay, that doesn't change God's stance on the issue. So it shouldn't change our stance either. So what are some examples of not encouraging um, homosexual marriage? Well, first of all, I think not attending a homosexual wedding, right? Because attending is support. All right, also, um, more practical to where you guys live is you, if you have friends who are homosexuals and they're thinking about dating somebody and they're coming to you for advice, not being a part of that, not encouraging them to pursue that lifestyle, not liking, sharing, or posting things on social media that are pro-homosexual, and not making jokes that normalize or trivialize homosexuality. These are all practical ways that we can not support homosexuality. And I had a, a great question as we're getting ready to go in our Q&A in the last service afterwards was, well, how do you support homosexual? Uh, how do you not support homosexuality but still show love to your uh, friends? Because in all of these things, as we not, don't support, we want to show the love of Jesus in all things. So I'm not saying to go on social media, somebody share something pro-homosexual and you write a hateful comment on it, all right? That's the opposite of what we want to do. That's not accomplishing the love of Jesus. But I, I paused it, uh, I said this to the person, so you treat them the same way you would treat any other unsafe friend in sin. If you have friends, as I'm sure many of you do, and they're sleeping with their boyfriend, girlfriend, right? They are living in sin. They are not going to heaven, right? But you still hang out with them. You still talk to them, right? And so in the same way, for those who are in homosexuality, I think it's great if you have a friend, if you hang out with them, go to the movies, whatever, you know? I think all of that is great, but um, we, cannot, we need to not cross those lines where we step over into supporting their lifestyle. 